Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. Not too long ago, Dr. Carrie Rodriguez was working in an immersion classroom that included a number of students with autism. Dr. Rodriguez wasn't there simply to observe the children though. She was watching how a therapy dog impacted the classroom. Dr. Rodriguez is an assistant professor at the University of Arizona College of Veterinary Medicine, where she directs the Human-Animal Bond Lab. And one of her areas of research is service and therapy dogs and their effect on children with autism. She has seen a lot in her years of research, but in this classroom, on this day, something magical happened. Among the students was a young girl who used a screen reader to interact with her classmates and teachers. And when the therapy dog was there, she put that screen reader to work. This little girl started to just go to town on her screen reader and just talking all about this dog, asking what's his birthday? What's his favorite thing to eat? How old is he? And just so interested and interacted. And she was just petting the dog and laughing and smiling and just having a great time. This kind of interaction and interest in a dog by itself isn't very unusual for most children. But in this instance, it was remarkable. And after the therapy dog left, the teacher was like, that is the most I've ever seen her interact. She hardly ever is using her screen reader in class. I've never seen her smile and laugh so much. Those types of interactions are really special to see. And, you know, it occurs with all types of children and people, depending on what types of conditions they have. I think when you see that spark of an animal really influencing someone's life, even if it's for 30 minutes during a day, it is really special to witness. It's long been known that animals and humans are able to form incredible bonds. And the impact that animals can have on humans is profound. Whether physically or mentally, having a pet in your life can benefit you in incredible ways. I've experienced it myself. But what is really going on in our minds and bodies during these human-animal interactions? And how do the benefits of these relationships play out in other areas of our lives? Dr. Rodriguez answers those questions and so many more right after the break. Stay with us. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the Buddies app. I use the app with my dog, Ozzy, and our family cat, Ripper. It's been a great tool in my pet parenting journey. One of my favorite features of the app is the Learn articles, where I always find great advice and resources to help keep Ozzy living his best life. But there are so many other features as well. On Buddies, you can track your pet's health, engage directly with the growing Buddies community, get the latest wellness advice from proven pet experts, and even shop for Blue Buffalo products. And when you use the app or make Blue purchases, you earn points to use towards rewards like treats and swag. Buddies is your trusted partner in pet parenthood, and using this free app is the perfect way to help build a strong bond with your four-legged family member. Download it now on iOS or Android, or by visiting lifewithpetspodcast.com. And keep looking out for ways to engage with me and Life With Pets using the app's Connect feature. Welcome back to Life With Pets. I'm so excited today to be talking to Dr. Carrie Rodriguez. Tell me about like the origin story. What got you into the human-animal connection? What was the initial spark? 
Yeah. So I've always been one of those kids that loved animals. I wanted to be a zookeeper or a veterinarian or a dolphin trainer. Um, and I had this passion for animals growing up. I really thought I was going to go to vet school. And in college, I found out about research and I became uh, really obsessed with that line. So started to study animals. And I originally studied um, only animals on the animal-human interaction scale. So I was working with the Duke Canine Cognition Center with Dr. Brian Hare, working on what makes a good service dog. So um, if you are familiar with this field, service dogs, even though we breed them and train them and raise them down to a science, it's still really hard to pass the training to make it. And so a lot of research has gone into, you know, can we predict which dogs will make it in training early on to save some of that time mm -hmm. and money? And so we were looking at if service dogs um, have any variability in the way that they think or solve problems or communicate that might predict how well they're going to be um, in their service dog placement. And then I got interested in, you know, what makes a good service dog placement on the human mm -hmm. side? Um, how does that work? How does that bond form? And what are these dogs doing for the humans' lives? And uh, then I spent my whole PhD dissertation studying service dog handler bonds and the impacts that service dogs have on people and took off from there. Wow. I mean, incredible. And um, what were some of the, I guess, what if you if you can share, I'm not sure if you're allowed to share, but like if you if you have stories of the bonds that you saw between a service dog and a, a human that that like, I don't know, that just inspired you. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I study service dogs for military veterans with PTSD. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine um, almost every single day of studying these partnerships is tugging on your heartstrings in some way, shape or form. It's really amazing to see you know, these textbook masculine types of personalities just melt over their dog. And the relationship that um, individuals form with their service dogs is, is so unique and powerful. Um, it's a little bit different than having a pet mm -hmm. dog because these dogs are uh, directly helping you live your life. They're an extension of you. And uh, it's really, really incredible to see. And I'm lucky that I get to put numbers behind those stories. Yeah. And in uh, in an upcoming episode, I think maybe the episode right after this one is um, we're doing a Veterans Day episode with a veteran. Um, she works with Sierra Delta and she talks about her bond with her service, her service dog Leland. And it's incredible. Let's dive in to kind of the main part of this interview, which is generally speaking, humans and animals and how they form bond. So maybe let's let's just start at the beginning, go with a basic general idea of like, what do we mean when we talk about a human-animal bond? Absolutely. So the human-animal bond is a relationship that's shared with a human and a non-human animal, such as a dog or a cat, a farm animal, or even a wild mm -hmm. animal. And we consider this human-animal bond to be bi-directional, meaning that it goes both ways. And the health and behavior of one side influences the other. And of course, probably the most popular application of the human-animal bond is with the animals that we share our lives with or our pets. 
and because uh, this is, you know, the potentially the strongest bond we have, we've done a lot of research specifically on how and why people and their pets uh, form and share relationships. But we also study the human-animal bond in short-term interactions, such as when you are visiting with a therapy animal, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my story is uh, it, it kind of like leans into this. I had I had a, a dog. He passed away earlier this year, but I got him at like a very low point in my life, and just like the psychological benefits of having him really just helped. You know. Uh, it, along with therapy and working on myself and doing all of the, the hard work that's necessary to come out of like a mental depression, like having a dog was part of my recovery and it really, really helped. And um, physically, mentally, all of that stuff. And and so I do want to talk about what are some of the underlying machinations that go on when you have a pet, when an animal is part of your life, like what's happening? Yeah. So when we interact with animals in a positive way, a lot of things are happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. If I asked you how you felt when you sit down and pet your dog after the end of a stressful day, you might tell me that you feel more relaxed, um, you feel less stressed. Um, Maybe this interaction serves as a form of mindfulness for you that you really are present in the moment, focusing on the texture of your dog's fur. There's a lot of psychological things happening there where the way that you feel is being impacted. But we also know that there is a lot of physiological things happening. Um, for, of course, your brain and your body are all you know, firing <laughs> yep. together. So what we found in research is that um, what your brain actually does when you interact positively with the animal is that it decreases your stress hormones or cortisol, and it increases your happy hormones, your feel-good chemicals, yeah. um, one of which is oxytocin, which is famously called the love hormone because it is largely involved in trust and relationships. And what's really cool is that we've actually been able to quantify similar brain activity in dogs. Mm-hmm. So during dog pet interactions, when um, they're being pet and stroked and talked to and making eye contact with their owners, their brains are also firing oxytocin, which really comes back to that bi-directional, mutually beneficial. Right. Yeah. It's like a symbiotic. You're they're helping you, but you're Mm -hmm. helping them too. Like they they want to be loved and cared for and pet at the same time, I guess. That Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. So how is I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but how is a human animal bond and like the joy and, you know, fulfillment you get from that different from other bonds that you form human to human, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So we know that pets are providing us with social and emotional support, as you just Mm -hmm. stated, um, that you personally derived from your pet, meaning that their presence is really comforting when we are down or distressed or uh, lonely. And so it's similar to what we can get from friends and family Mm -hmm. as far as uh, feeling companionship, uh, feeling loved and supported, and having something to love in return. And we know that those things are really important for our well-being as a social species. But there are differences in the way that animals support us compared to our human friends and family. They are famously, you know, discussed as having unconditional love. They're non-judgmental in nature. And they love you no matter what you do or say. (laughs) Um, And sometimes that can be much more comforting than a human friend. 
Uh, we've actually studied this in the lab. So researchers have brought people into the lab setting and had them undergo a stressful situation, which, you know, back in the day, you might think like they shocked you or something. But nowadays, one of the most popular stressors is to put someone up in front of a crowd and have them do mental math oh, geez. <laughs> and subtract 17 from 2023 no, until you get to zero. <laughs> It is um, mounts a cortisol response in 99% of people. It's a very reliable stressor. So uh, they have people do this mental math task where they have to subtract 17 till they get to zero. Um, and they do this either alone with a friend present of their choice or with a gold retriever <laughs> therapy dog. And what they find is that uh, in the dog condition, not only do you exhibit less stress overall, you have less of those stress hormones and uh, you feel better doing the task. And that is in comparison to the human friend. You would think that the human friend would help you feel less stress, but they actually add more stress. Right, you don't wanna fail in front of them. <laughs> exactly. And even if that's unconscious, and even though you know they might not be judging you, you perceive that they might be judging you. Whereas the golden retriever has absolutely no idea what you're doing <laughs> and is wagging their tail and making you feel loved and supported no matter what. So that's one of the reasons that we think that animal support is so important and unique is that non-judgmental factor. That's incredible. And also, yes, I would be very stressed out if somebody tried to make me do that mental math and be like, no, thank you. Um, uh -huh. That's fascinating, honestly. And you touched on this a little bit before. And even in this example you just gave, it doesn't have to be like you have this long lasting bond with this animal. This is just you know, random golden retriever is next to you. And it's like, oh, I'm much, I feel much more calm with this here. What are the factors then that go into making this bond stronger? Like, is there, is there a benefit from having a long-term relationship with a pet versus like just meeting a dog in the street? Like, wow, my day's better because I met that dog. Yeah. Anyone who has interacted with a therapy animal even myself that I study this, you know that you can get benefits from interacting with an animal for five mm -hmm. minutes. Um, it's it's very rewarding and therapeutic, uh, even in that short term. And, and we know that. We know that therapy animals are really impactful. For example, after school shootings or after bombings, therapy animals can come in and really change the tone of how people are processing emotions. And, and that human-animal bond is, is one that's highly studied. And it's interesting because those aren't our pets, right? Um, however, we also do a lot of research on those long-term bonds, which is a little bit different. You spend you know all of your time with these animals. You form really long-lasting relationships. And importantly, you're spending a lot of money and time and energy on your yep. pets that you're not with the therapy animals. And I think that actually makes for a stronger bond. You've been through a lot together. And in the case of you and your pet dog, you've been through life stages together. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're similar, but also very different. And the research questions that we ask on the two long-term and short-term relationships are also much different. And I want to get into both of those. And let's kind of start with framing what are some of the grander or larger benefits of pet ownership? Like how do you see that relationship as, you know, what, what, what comes from it? What, what are the benefits of it? Mm -hmm. Obviously pets are beneficial because almost, uh, I think 75% of households have pets and we keep getting them. <laughs> and even though we're spending thousands of dollars on yeah. them, 
uh, we keep saying that we like yeah. them. So obviously there's something beneficial happening for our mental and emotional health. And what the field has researched is how those benefits manifest across the lifespan. So there's research on how having animals present influences infant development of microbiomes. There's research on how having pets influences things like competence and self-esteem for children and teenagers. And then research all the way to the end of the spectrum, uh, looking at how pets influence healthy aging among older adults. So there's a lot of different contexts and conditions that we can look at how having a pet potentially enriches certain things that are happening. But we also have research on the negative aspects of pet ownership. Mm -hmm. And there are some. It's not, you know, all um, daisies and roses. There are a lot of things that are also potentially not good for us in pet ownership. So uh, striking a balance between those two things, I think, is really important when we're talking about the benefits of pet ownership. Um, And it's kind of similar to having kids. You know, there's really wonderful benefits. But at the end of the day, yeah, there's there's always going to be drawbacks. Yeah. And I, I do want to touch on some of them. So I'd, I'd love for you to give some examples of from your research or even, you know, anecdotally, what have you seen or observed as, you know, specific instances where a human animal bond had a positive mental or physical effect? So one of the areas that I briefly touched on that I've done research on is in military veterans with PTSD Mm -hmm. service dogs. And, um, you know, those bonds, any veteran will tell you, you know, this dog saved my life, this dog is my world. Um, And one of our research goals was to put numbers behind that story um, and really try to identify our service dogs effective towards like clinically relevant Um, types of mental health benefits that traditionally treatments would target for PTSD. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that they are. They are having a service dog is associated with less PTSD symptoms, less anger, less anxiety, less depression, uh, better sleep, uh, less reliance on medication, less social isolation, um, all these things that we were able to find that service dogs are in fact impacting. And so that's one area that we have pretty good preliminary evidence to suggest that there are uh, really important benefits happening for a lot of veterans that um, is important to understand from a mental health perspective. Yeah. And I think, like I mentioned, if you if you get a chance, listen to our episode with Stephanie Marvin Miller. She is a military veteran. She has PTSD. She has a service dog. And it's a story worth listening to because it, it illustrates all of these points that you're making. This dog you know, saved her life. And it's it's really amazing to hear that kind of impact that a pet can have. And what about the negatives? Like, I don't want to ignore the negatives. I want to be, I want this to be a full conversation. So what are some of the negatives that are involved in this relationship? One of the things that we asked veterans is, you know, what's the best part about your service dog? And they would go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. and, on. and then we would say, you know, what's, are there any drawbacks to having a service dog? And really interestingly, a majority of them said, absolutely, yes, it's problems with public access. Mm -hmm. It's problems in public in particular. And that's really important. It illustrates why we need more education on service dogs in general. Um, One of the uh, issues with PTSD is that it's invisible. So you don't necessarily know someone is struggling just by how they look. So a lot of business owners will say, hey, you're not allowed in here. Uh, Get that dog out of my place. Or 
they'll say, you know, that's a fake service dog, prove it, you know, all of these things that are really, really hard for someone with PTSD to encounter or anyone to encounter on a daily basis. So there's really interesting things like that, um, particularly in service dogs. In pet dogs, I think, you know, one of the biggest ones we would always talk about is financial sure. aspects. <laughs> they are so expensive. But there's also, you know, things like uh, time and energy constraints. And for my own pets, um, I know that it's really hard to go on vacation sometimes. And you kind of give up some aspects of your life uh, for your pets. But on the other hand, it also illustrates how loving my relationship is with my pets because I am giving up so much for them. And I don't want my dog to go to the kennel for a week while I'm at the Bahamas because I'm I'm scared for him. (laughs) So... Um, I think, yeah, those those cons actually are sometimes really telling for how special our bonds are. Have you heard about the true blue effect? It's pretty cool. And I've seen my dog Teddy thrive because of it. What I'm talking about are the seven benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. We're talking about healthy muscle development, immune system health, skin and coat health, healthy digestion, joint health, strong bones, And the one I see most of all in Teddy is vibrant energy for an active life. All of this is thanks to the quality ingredients in Blue Life Protection Formula. Try it now. So talk to us about how the human-animal bonds might extend into social connections, community well-being, the other aspects of a human life. Anyone who has taken their pets out to a brewery or cafe and sat on the patio knows firsthand that having an animal with you is a wonderful icebreaker. Mm-hmm. It's a really easy way to approach people and be approached. Um, and it's considered totally normal for someone to come up to you and talk to you when you have um, your pet dog for you, for example. Whereas if you're alone, it might be a bit awkward if someone comes up and talks to you. And so this has actually been researched. Um, and some of my favorite research on this is where researchers have set up um, studies where they have a person in a wheelchair travel down a street uh, many times and they're observing, you know, how many times people smile at them, look at them, talk Mm -hmm. to them. And then they do the same thing at the same street in the same person with um, that person having a pet dog with them. And so everything's equal besides now the person in the wheelchair has, you know, this gold retriever lab next to them. And what they find is that people not only, yeah, smile more at you, but they are more likely to talk to you and more likely to look directly at you and, you know, give eye contact. And those tiny, tiny things can be really important for people that are socially stigmatized or marginalized. Even just your average person, when you bring a dog into a social environment, you're given a little bit of a leg up um, so that you are feeling a little bit more like you belong and that people are a little friendlier to you. So that part of dog ownership and, and bringing pets into public is really interesting. Yeah. The same goes for cats. When you bring a cat in <laughs> a basket um, with a bandana on, which of course, that's not for all cat owners, but I've seen some wonderful therapy cats and cats that are trained on leashes everyone will want to talk to you. You will be the most popular person. Oh, for sure. Yeah. A cat on a leash is going to get you some attention. That's 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 yes. a, true 100% of the time. Um, and I want to talk to, like, we, we talked a little bit about pet ownership. I want to talk, dive into the the idea of, of therapy animals and, and how that is healing to those who, who need therapy animals. So I, I want to hear about some of the research you've done and if you could elaborate on what it, what, 
therapy animals are, you know, bringing, what challenges they bring, but what value they bring as well. One thing that I think is really important um, is to go over kind of what a therapy animal mm-hmm. is. It's really hard and confusing to figure out service dog, therapy yeah. dog, social support <laughs> dog, opinion dog, facility dog. Um, so for those who are a little bit muddy on this, a therapy animal is someone's pet and their uh, handler is either their owner or someone that knows the pet very well that volunteers their time to take that animal to visit other people. And you'll see therapy animals and their handlers or what we call therapy animal teams in so many places these days, Um, schools, nursing homes, hospitals, college campuses around exam week, airports, um, they're everywhere. And importantly, these animals are not trained for any disability types of tasks. Um, They're really just trained for basic obedience. And their role is to increase your good mood for the day. Um, make you smile, make you feel a little bit better about the situation that you're experiencing. Yeah, my dog, uh, sorry to interrupt you, my my previous dog, Ozzy, the one who passed away, he was, uh, I, I had trained him enough that he became a therapy dog and we would go to a nursing home every weekend. And it was yeah. just like the residents there were always so excited to see him. And it was just like so nice to be able to provide that because Ozzy was such a chill guy and he loved to just like be a pet and hang out with people. So he he made for the perfect therapy dog in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> and nursing homes are a great example of that. Uh, therapy animal visitation programs are wonderful for areas that can't have pets mm-hmm. in them. Um, so hospitals and, and uh, nursing homes are a really great example of where, you know, just a 10 minute visit with a therapy animal can really help someone who's missing their own pet or, um, you know, is experiencing uh, separation from their pet. And so that's one and really important area. Nursing homes are uh, obviously, I think almost every nursing home in America has some sort of visitation program and there's a really good reason yeah. why. And, uh, and so talk to me about the other animals, service animals. What are the other categories of animals? <laughs> uh-huh. So service animals are mostly dogs, specifically dogs. So service dogs are trained for tasks that help a disability. And that disability is um, getting wider and wider as far as what service dogs can be trained mm-hmm. for. So historically, you might think, you know, guide dogs for people that are visually impaired, hearing dogs for those who are hearing impaired, um, and kind of the dogs that help with mobility for people in wheelchairs. But nowadays, there's a lot of conditions that service dogs can help with. We talked about psychiatric service dogs. Those are dogs that help with the mental conditions, such as PTSD or autism. Um, But there's also really interesting new types of service dogs like diabetic alert Mm -hmm. dogs. They can alert to higher blood, high or low blood sugar, seizure response and alert dogs. They can actually smell when a seizure event might be happening and respond to it. And one of my favorites that has popped up in recent years that is, I think is just so cool and innovative is allergen detection dogs. And these dogs can be trained to actually sniff out allergens um, for those who get anaphylactic from certain allergens. Um, They'll be able to sniff food, different types of toiletries, anything and tell you like, hey, there's walnuts in there and save someone's life. So I, I need that. there's a lot of different <laughs> dogs now. And importantly, not all conditions are visible. So when you see, you know, perfectly capable human uh, out and you think they don't have a disability, they 
do probably if they have a service dog, they should, might be invisible. So that's something to really um, understand in, in today's world. Yeah, I have my EpiPen with me at all times. So I should have my dog, my, my allergen stick, sniffing dog with me at all times too. <laughs> uh-huh. That's incredible. I didn't even know that they did. I knew that there was a the diabetes and seizures, because I had a friend who had a dog who detected seizures, but allergens, that's interesting, but it makes sense because most allergens have a smell. You should be able to smell that, I think, right? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we've done research on these types of dogs, um, diabetic and seizure alert dogs in particular, to look at how these dogs are affecting the person's life beyond what they're trained yeah. for. So we did a study and found that uh, having one of these service dogs um, for diabetes or epilepsy really improves your self-esteem. It improves your independence and your confidence mm-hmm. and overall improves your social functioning. So going back to that social element, um, it can really help people uh, feel less isolated and overall improve their lives in many other ways other than you know just alerting to high blood sugar or allergens. So it's really special and uh, I'm lucky to to have um, the ability to do those studies. I'm just curious, and maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't. My friend who I was talking about who had a dog who sniffed out seizures, that dog was not trained to do that. He would just mm-hmm. know that it was happening and go sit by um, the person and be like, mm-hmm. you need to, like, there's an alert happening. So is that normal? Or like, is it like something that you have to train? Like, I, I'm I'm just curious personally. <laughs> no, there are plenty of pet dogs that will spontaneously start to do that. And um, there's also... Some evidence to suggest that dogs are also able to smell when our cortisol is increasing. So when we're getting stressed, Mm -hmm. which is also one of the mechanisms for how dogs might help PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, Dogs are very attuned to our emotions. And that is an area that we're doing a lot more research on to figure out how and, you know, how that can be therapeutic and worked into to certain, you know, service dog treatments. But yeah, the epilepsy alert is very, very prevalent just in average pet dogs. And I think it, again, illustrates how important that bond is. A dog cares about you so much that they're, you know, paying attention to these tiny, tiny chemicals changing in your body and and saying, hey, mom, there's something happening here. Yeah. It's incredible. The more you learn about animals and dogs and cats and like what they can do, the the way that their senses work, it's just, mind-boggling how much they affect us or can impact us in our lives. And and I think you get to see that every single day, which is pretty cool. All right. So we've talked a lot about humans, animals, the bond, the research that you do, but why is it important to continue researching? I think generally speaking, the public is aware, okay, animals and humans have a bond. It's important. It's a real thing. Why do we need to put numbers behind it? Why is it important to study this? Yeah, I love this question because um, people ask me this all the time. We know dogs are good for us. Why do we need to put Mm -hmm. money towards this as I'm applying for a (laughs) bunch of grants to study this? But research is actually super important for this field. In fact, uh, you can imagine when you're bringing therapy animals into a hospital, for example, 
the hospital administrators, the policymakers, the uh, lawmakers, the healthcare providers, all of them will need numbers at the end of the day and not just stories. And these numbers and quantification are incredibly important, not only to make sure that it's effective, uh, who is it effective for, so understanding variation, but also to make sure it's safe. And that's really important is to document those types of things in any sort of intervention, whether that's a new drug, um, a new treatment, a new pill. Ultimately, research can really help to fill the gap of, you know, what is this doing? Mm -hmm. And when we find that there are positive effects on things like blood pressure or pain or really clinically meaningful things, research can help get more resources and validation towards these programs so that they can expand and help more people. So uh, we really see research as uh, beneficial to the field for quantifying benefits, um, making sure that it's safe, and then ultimately um, hoping to get more resources to the programs that need it to provide more service dogs, uh, more therapy and all programs, and more pet assistance programs. So there's a lot that we know, but what do we not know? What are you still looking to learn or what are the people in your field really interested in discovering? There is a lot we don't know in our field, which is really exciting because we can ask new questions every day. One of the biggest questions is who benefits from animal interaction? Are What are the differences underlying um, someone that is going to really be impacted by you know, a therapy animal visit or a service dog and someone who might not be? Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at things like if you had pets when you were a kid, how much you identify with animals, how much you empathize with animals what type of mood you're in when you start the interaction. There's so many variables that go into that. And then on the animal side, you know, what makes a good therapy animal? Uh, What are the variations on that side? We know that um, for therapy dogs, you can um, have wonderful therapy dogs that are ranging from Great Danes to Chihuahuas Mm -hmm. to Pit Bulls to Labs. And there's a lot of interest in all of those different types of dog personalities and temperaments and behaviors. So that's a really exciting area that I do a lot of research on. Another area that we need a lot more research on, specifically in pet ownership, is um, with marginalized communities and communities that are underrepresented in research. So like a majority of other psychology fields, our field is um, mostly done in Western countries, English-speaking researchers and populations, and really relies heavily on white participants Mm -hmm. that are like upper to middle class. So as a field, there's a big push to study things like pet ownership and how um, pets are impacting people's lives for not only different race and ethnicities, but in low-income housing, for individuals experiencing homelessness, you know, immigrant populations, the list is, is huge. And we really need more research on different populations um, to really grow the field. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot left to do, a lot left to study, um, and it's it's important. It's It seems like very important work, <laughs> and these are, like you said, animals can help in so many different ways. I have a few more questions for you. The first is a <laughs> kind of a personal question. So for the animal-human bond, you know that an interaction with an animal has all of these benefits. My question is, what about somebody who 
really is not like an animal lover. Not that they're afraid of animals, because that could probably bring a lot more stress having to interact with an animal. But somebody who's just like generally ambivalent or does not care. I'm thinking specifically of my father who doesn't really (laughs) like animals, but, you know, is around them. Is there still something happening there that's beneficial to them? This is really important because I think that often our society thinks animals are magic Mm -hmm. and that they can, you know, magically cure things and make you happier, but that's not the case at all. And um, for individuals like your dad and, um, you know, a lot of people in society, animal interaction might not have similar benefits. And that's what we're researching is understanding what type of person um, benefits the most and how can we, you know, strategically um, build off that for therapy applications. So I think it's really important, not only, you know, in our society, but across other societies, a lot of cultures do not have the same types of views that we do when it comes to pet ownership. Um, For a lot of cultures, the idea of a dog sleeping in our bed is absolutely (laughs) absurd. And so it's really important to understand that there's a lot of variation in how people feel about animals, how people interact with animals, and ultimately how they might benefit from animal interaction. Yeah. So you can't really generally say it's a positive relationship because it might not always be. So how can people support research programs, initiatives, the stuff that we've been talking about today? Yeah. Research really relies on the organizations that we partner with. There are so many amazing nonprofits out there. And uh, in general, they rely on donations and private funding to keep going. So there are always uh, wonderful nonprofits to donate to that will ultimately expand the research that they're able to do. For service organizations in particular, a lot of them rely on donations and there are very, very long wait lists for these programs and not enough resources to meet the demand. So, for example, the organization we work with that places PTSD service dogs for veterans free of cost have multi-year long wait lists. So there is always a need for um, more funding and more gifts and donations to these nonprofits to support their mission and ultimately um, support research as well. Amazing. All right. My last question. This is a tradition on life with pets can often be the hardest question for some people. So brace yourself. (laughs) If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? And what would be your favorite activity? So we've been talking about this, (laughs) but I think I might be a pet dog in a millennial (laughs) household. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's a pretty good life. You um, just get to sleep in a comfy bed and and, uh, have... Uh, bark box and toys delivered to you <laughs> on a daily basis. You get, you know, special like pumpkin and venison yeah. food. Um, I think it'd be a pretty great, great life. Um, just being a dog in general, they're so happy <laughs> and grateful. And I think I would really like to be, you know, a lab and just play fetch all day. I think that would be, you know, honestly, a pretty good life. As a millennial with a dog, yes, I can confirm that he has the best life of anything living yeah. probably yeah. right now. Amazing. Dr. Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, if you're interested in hearing more about service dogs and the impact they have, listen to our next episode uh, with Stephanie Marvin Miller of Sierra Delta. She talks all about how her service dog has helped her. And uh, to learn more about Carrie's research, you know, go to the the resources that she's provided. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. 
You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org.